Missing car alert. Have you seen my car? A black OD with license plate L33339 Missing from Limerick. The owner John Murphy, that's me, I'm John Murphy, right? And I'm seeking the public's help in locating my car robbed outside my door last Saturday early Sunday. I know I drove it home from the pub and parked outside my door and it's gone. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of my car, contact me, John Murphy, immediately via Bangor Road Garda Station. They know me in there. Don't talk to anyone but Con Scott, Sergeant Scott. He's on the case. Any details, no matter how small, could be crucial in the search for my car, robbed outside my door. Okay, Black Audi. L three 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 nine three three. Go on, that'll do, Margaret. Hit stop on that there for me. What's your favourite disaster? Tornadoes, because they look terrifying and they peer out of nowhere. Oh my god! It's your favourite disaster. It would probably be my first short film. <laughs> I honestly knew you were going to say something like that. I knew you were going to say something. Roll the theme tune. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to the best bits, a movie pod. Oh, Jesus sorry. Christ! Uh, wait there. Sorry, sorry. Let's get rid of that. Shit. Um, just need to. Sorry. Don't call me stupid. Oh Christ! Hello, Will. Kevin. What the fuck was that? Uh, sorry, it's a bit of a disaster. Oh my god. Oh, trust you, Kevin. Hello, and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where we pick our favourite scenes and randomly selected weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Kevin, a writer of one and a bit films, three and a bit episodes of TV, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host of three films plus a Christmas special, Will Collins. Hello, Kevin Leanne. How the heck are you getting on there, Sonny Bunny? I am reeking in depression because I've just spent the week watching the world fall to shit over and over and over yeah, again I love it and watching disaster films <laughs> it was just, that was just the news and yeah yeah, it's amazingly how uh, how uh, our topics seem to sync up with real life it's incredible isn't it yeah when are we going to yeah. get sex scenes again <laughs> we're talking about disaster movies yeah so you spent a full on week watching disaster movies Kevin I did how are you feeling um, I'll tell you what Ignorantly, I thought, oh, it's just going to be the 70s movies. Yeah. And then it's not. I dove in and I got deeper and deeper into the shit. And I realized there's so many disaster movies and an awful lot of them are ropey as all fuck. Yeah. It's a pretty disastrous topic filled with a lot of <laughs> disastrous B-movie fare. It was uh, an interesting one to dive into. It really was. So I thought we would do recommendations. Good. So we would just tell people what we watched and what we liked. Yeah. Because I struggled with this topic. Grace. 
Great, great, great. <laughs> no, honestly, because what angle can you do on this topic, you know, other than coming at it from one particular producer, director and focusing on his films? But I think that's really cutting yourself short because there's so many other disaster movies out there. So I like that approach. I'm ready and willing and cooperative, Kevin. I have a take and I'm going to sort of outline that take, hopefully in a way that people will buy it by the end of it. But they sort of like started to, to pop up after the, the era of making all these war movies. Okay. And the earliest disaster movie that I saw this week was from 1960, and it was a Russian one, and it was one that you recommended to me. You saw it on a list or something. Yeah, it is Letter Never Sent, and it was a film that I only got to see half of, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this was was a week in which I have so many unfinished films on my plate. This is a disaster already. Yeah, it already is a disaster. Well, I watched the whole film. Well, let me tell you the half I saw, right? The half I saw was really impressive. It was a Russian film about these group of geologists who are in Siberia exploring for diamonds. Mm -hmm. A black and white film. Black and white film. Nicely shot. Really nicely shot. Very impressionistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But where I dropped off, the disaster had happened. The disaster happened. The disaster what? hadn't really? happened. The disaster didn't happen at that stage. See, okay, all right. So this is the thing, right? These are ensemble films. Yeah. And there's an awful lot of moving the chess pieces around the board in order to put people into scenarios where you can have set pieces happen. So in almost all of them that I saw, you will establish who your characters are. You will give us something about them, usually something that is really trite and tropey and maudlin and sentimental and so silly but it'll be something like little jimmy wants to go to disneyland or or the grandmother is going on her first vacation and something that's like oh isn't that sweet yeah. you establish all these people even the bad guys some some guys having an affair and he's being mean to his mistress or whatever and that takes up a good fucking hour in a lot of these films yeah and then the disaster hits and by that stage i'm like just kill them all <laughs> It's like every airport movie. It's like, and oh my ev- God. every child in those airport movies are the most enthusiastic, chipper little kids you've ever seen <laughs> on the history of the world. Oh, golly gee, where are you going to, mister? I'm going to the toilet, son. Oh, where can I come? I sure would love to see a toilet. <laughs> the funniest one of those is in Airport 1975, which is the best of the airport films. I watched all four of them. Fuck knows why, because I thought that they might have something substantial about them that I could justify watching them. They were all uniformly terrible. (laughs) But (laughs) Airport 1975. Airport 1975, an all new motion picture inspired by the film Airport, based on the novel by Arthur Haley. A dramatic new story with a cast of the screen's greatest names Charlton Heston. Damn! Great pressure's dropping. Karen Black. I'm scared. George Kennedy. My wife and son are up there in that airplane. I'm going to Salt Lake City. Gloria Swanson. To hell with the jewelry. Let's put my book in here. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Susan Clark. Comedian Sid Caesar. Myrna Loy. Linda Blair. And award-winning singer Helen Reddy as Sister Ruth. Would you be more forgiving of your human imperfections if you realized best friend was yourself all conditions normal and then it happened oh my jewel case it's bomb proofed the insurance people insist on it
after the plane has been struck by another plane, yeah. there's a hole been blown out in the, the cockpit. The pilots are all dead. The stewardess who squinty is flying the plane. <laughs> <laughs> They're being escorted by jets and the kid looks out the window. Look, Mom, there's another airplane out there. An Air Force jet. I'll bet he's going to help us. He is. It's like, what are you so happy about, kid? <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> For one thing, it had Gloria Swanson in it playing herself. And it was the weirdest portrayal I've ever seen in one of these films where she was just basically giving us a one-woman play about her life. She was telling us her biography. Miss yeah. <laughs> Swanson, what is this the way, secret of your eternal youth? Well, I just take natural food. I will not have poison food. I don't like it. It was, it was like, what is going on? She's in the middle of like a, a disaster movie and she's saying... Young man, in 1917, I was flying in something wilder than this. You know who the pilot was? Cecil B. DeMille. We flew from Hollywood nonstop to Pasadena. Yes, and on the way home, we did loop the loop so that I could see the moon upside down. It's like a Simpsons character. It's the whole scene. <laughs> that scene is so funny because we have a scene going on with characters. Gloria Swanson shows up and everyone stops so that Gloria <laughs> Swanson could share her anecdotes. It's fucking hilarious. And she's obviously writing an autobiography. So she has her... That's the conceit they're using. Yeah, she has her like assistant who is uh, taping her. So she'll just randomly throw anecdotes out. I guess everybody given up hope, including the doctors. Nobody expected me to live. But then, I've never done anything I was expected to do. She's not even partaking in any of the disaster stuff. Yeah. She just rides a plane, <laughs> talking about herself, lounging in the chairs, dressed in like a cloak that she never takes off. Like, there was a moment where Linda Blair is brought onto the plane. Yeah. And Linda Blair needs a kidney, and she's she's sort of brought on in a stretcher. And Gloria Swanson takes a look at Linda Blair coming on the stretcher and says, thank God for my three healthy children and seven <laughs> grandchildren. I thought, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> What's the dialogue about? Three children, seven grandchildren, and all healthy, thank God. It was so bizarre. It was hilarious. It was, honest to God, it was the one of all of them that I, I laughed at so much. And it was basically Airplane, the movie. There are so many elements from Airplane, the movie, that he obviously ripped straight from this film. Because yeah. he was just, and the, oh God, the, the sexism. Oh my God. God. That's in all of them, though. Oh, it's, the 70s were blooming atrocious for it. The way that the women survive these movies is they say, What do we do now? And then Gene Hackman slaps them. Get a hold <laughs> And that's how they survive a disaster. I don't want to segue, but there was a, a, mo- a really inappropriate <laughs> one in the Poseidon Adventure where the really nice little quiet guy who is uh, kind of a, a wet blanket he's become this kind of like father figure to this teenage girl who's there without her parents. And she's kind of- Who's in her knickers, by the way. Because Gene Hackman said to the women, (laughs) you can't climb up the Christmas tree in your dresses. You've got to take them off. And he said to Shelley Winters, who's in her 60s and overweight, your grand Shelley, you can keep yours on. (laughs) And this is in all of them. It's in all the Irwin Allen ones. Susan, you're first. You can't climb in a long gown, so you'll have to come off. Okay? Okay, Miss Rogo, up you go. But you'll have to take off that long gown. Like hell she will! She can't climb in that, it's too tight. She's got nothing under it! <laughs> Just panties, what else do I need? It's awful. It really <laughs> is. And this was like general, kind of like popular entertainment. So this was the uh, a normal idea for how you should treat a woman. What do we do now? Now, do you know any woman in any crisis situation... <laughs> 
woman in any crisis who has absolutely no idea what to do. It was, oh, it was so, it was so funny. Oh yeah, red buttons, that little guy. Yeah. He just casually smacks <laughs> the teenager. I can't go on without him. You will go on. <laughs> and the guys are shouting at the other guys. And it's basically the, the loudest shouter wins. That was the Poseidon adventure. That was the Poseidon basically adventure. Basically just Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine screaming at each other on a cruise ship. Where in the hell were you? Oh, look, preacher, I've had just about enough out of you. I told you to keep everybody rounded up. Who do you think you are? God himself? He was hurt. He needed your protection. All right, so he was hurt. The boat tilted and he fell. The ship blew up and he's dead. And that's it. Or do you want to make something more out of it? I told you I was going to get everybody out of here. I have to say, now, the Towering Inferno, that came off as the most balanced one. Yeah. The most offensive thing about the Towering Inferno was the decor. Like, I was looking at the lobby, this garish orange and brown lobby decor. I loved it. It reminded me of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> you know, do you know the way the tower was on fire? Well, I was looking at that. Uh, set design and I wanted to pour petrol in my eyeballs and set them alight because they were oh those buildings were just built with asbestos and fucking shag carpet (laughs) if the fire didn't kill them the asbestos (laughs) would but to get back to letter never sent sorry yes bring us right back Kevin (laughs) how did it end was it good I'll tell you what was amazing about that film right the disaster in that one is a forest fire yeah and it sort of kicks off when they are falling asleep one night and it surrounds them and I was watching it going, they actually put them in the middle of a forest fire. They're actually right in the middle of it. It was like, from, I genuinely wanted to finish the film. It was just a matter of time. I just didn't. Spoiler alert. Slavo Green. <laughs> so I now, I still now generally want to. The main the guy. Slavo Green. With the forest fire. Okay. And he ends up. Slavo Green. On a nice flow. And it looks like they really just plopped him in the middle of Siberia, going down a raging river until. Slavo Green. On a sheet of ice. And a helicopter comes in and... Slava Ukraini. Oh, wow. And that's the end of it. <laughs> Slava Ukraini. And Heroem Slava. Which translates to glory to Ukraine and glory to the heroes. So, right. That film is one of the ones I'm going to recommend from this genre. I'm going to say Letter Never Sent yeah. is a really, really good one. And we just touched on Towering Inferno. A film so big that it will require two major studios to finance and produce it. And of all of the 70s disaster movies that I watched, the best one is The Towering Inferno, which I think holds up as an actually really good movie, not just for the genre. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The Towering Inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. I'm right there with you. And the two leads, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, they're solid, reliable. They have the answers to everything. Leathery. They're very leathery. You know the behind-the-scenes trivia about them sharing co-starring role. Yeah, I think it was Steve McQueen only agreed to be in the film if he had exactly the same number of lines as Paul Newman. So they counted them out and they matched it. And then they've got the opening credits where one is slightly higher than the other. And, you know, you read left to right. So it's like, who comes first when you're reading? Or who's got top billing? I actually loved Fred Astaire's character in this because it slowly revealed that his character is a con 
it. Yeah, there's also a, a con lady, Jean Seaborg, in one of the airport films, the first airport film, which is probably the second shittest of that series. Right. And she is a con lady who is sneaking onto planes and getting everything for free, and she's using her dotage to sort of finagle her way past security and not pay for tickets. Yeah. So, like, they, they seem to have a formula. Yeah. It was the same format. The only thing that are kind of replaceable or were to plug in were the disaster itself and and obviously the efforts to overcome that disaster. I was shocked that the first airport was a Best Picture nominee. Wow. The five nominees for the Best Picture in this, the 43rd year, display an equally wide range of content and approach, which is a healthy sign for both the movie makers and the movie goers. The films are Airport, produced by Ross Hunter. That's the one that kicked it all off, and I think for that reason... They decided, let's, you know, do this again and again and again. Directed by George Seaton, who did Miracle on 34th Street, the original. Yeah. But the returns were diminishing as as the decade went on. Yes, the Towering Inferno made a bucket of money, and the Poseidon Adventure made a bucket of money. An earthquake made a bucket of money. And, yeah. But this is the thing, right? William Holden in the Towering Inferno, a year before Jaws, is basically Mayor Vaughn. Basically, yeah. If you had to cut costs, why didn't you cut floors instead of corners? Any decisions that were made for the use of alternate building materials were made because I, as a builder, have a right to make those decisions. If I remain within the building code, and God damn it, I did. <laughs> building code, come on, don't come here. That's a standard cop-out when you're in trouble. I was crawling around up there. I mean, duct holes weren't fire-stopped. Corridors without fire doors and its sprinklers won't work. And an electrical system that's good for what? I mean, it's good for starting fires. Whew. Boy, where was I when all this was going on? Because I'm just as guilty as you and that goddamn son-in-law of yours. So I wanted to ask you, do you consider Jaws to be a disaster movie? <sighs> oh man, you, you got me on the hop there because I think I, when I was watching The Towering Inferno specifically, I went, oh my God, Jaws wasn't original at all. <laughs> So a lot of the elements of the story are very, very similar. See, I don't consider Jaws to be a disaster movie. Okay. But I do think that Jaws 2 is a disaster movie. Now, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, the legend continues. Right. Tell me how Jaws 2 is a disaster movie and the first one isn't. Because Jaws 2 is about an event which is a bunch of kids end up getting lost at sea and they're being harassed by a shark and they form the flotilla. Right. And they are basically being picked off one by one and Brody goes out to save his two sons in danger. So it feels very much like a disaster movie, more so than the first one. And this is where my hot take comes in. Oh, good. Great. Okay. I'm ready for it. I think that disaster movies are proto-slasher movies. Oh, interesting. Okay, elaborate. You have an ensemble cast that are being picked off by something which is an unstoppable foe. Right. I don't think that disaster movies that have a supernatural element are disaster films. Yeah. But I do think that disaster films have a lot of the same elements as slasher films. Interesting. In a similar sort of subcategory. To kind of support that theory, right? If you look at a lot of disaster films, the objective of the characters is not to face inner failings and overcome something. Maybe maybe it is with the later films. But really, the objective with those early disaster movies is to survive. And with the slasher movies, 
it's just about surviving. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not about, oh, I have to find my inner strength to, you know, win this match or I have to find my inner strength to go out and hunt down this shark. I could just easily <laughs> stay at home and forget about the shark and be quite happy. Yeah. That's very interesting, Kevin. I like that uh, take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I think. I think that disaster movies went away and slasher movies came in. They were the next big trend of films yeah. other than like action films in the 80s. But you don't really get a lot of slasher films in the 70s. You've got a handful, but this came about because I was trying to to work out what exactly is a disaster film or what the parameters are, because this topic just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. What you were saying there is what emotion is a disaster movie trying to elicit from the audience? That I don't know, because I was surprised that so few of them were scary. Well, there's um, for me, the good ones, right? The ones that I, that really clicked for me were the ones that really kind of had me almost nauseous in dread yeah. of the actual disastrous events that was on the screen. Give me a film. Give me a title. I'll give you, okay, right off the top of my head, Greenland. The only thing people want to talk about today is this interstellar comet. Big news. Some of Clark's larger fragments are now expected to enter our atmosphere. That's right. One first chunks is about to hit. Hit? Only part of it. It's going in the ocean. Two. Would you look at that? One. Wait, what is the explosion? We now are getting word that the fragment has hit Central Florida. Oh my God. Wait, are some more pieces gonna hit? Come on, let's go. But the sky's on fire. Space agencies are predicting an extinction level event. They've been tracking the military flights to bunkers in Greenland. It's our only chance. We're going to be together. All right, get him. Allison! Nathan! Clark's largest fragment will hit in less than 24 hours. I swear I'm going to get my family in a bunker. If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter immediately. If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter immediately. Seek shelter immediately. Seek shelter immediately. Seek shelter immediately. Greenland was one of my surprise ones over the last year. I'd agree with that. That filled me with dread. And I was amazed because it's a Jared Butler film. And I thought this has got to be garbage. It's not. It's It's really good. And he's really good in it. He's very good. He's very leathery. So I suppose that. You know, he's, he's following in the footsteps of Newman and McQueen and William Holden. <laughs> but what I really liked about Greenland was that one, it didn't, uh, one of the complaints you had, it didn't hang around. It got into the business really quickly. Because it didn't have a big ensemble. But what it did have, you know, a, first of all, a very cozy sense of real because the characters felt real and the relationships felt very real. He's, he's uh, wife, Monica Bacaran. Yeah. They have a, a marriage that's, on the ropes, but you feel in like one scene that you know exactly where they are and it's understated and real. But when shit hits the fan, the way it's played out in the film, it feels very grounded and real. Good luck. Good luck. Take Ali, please, please. We 
can't take her, Deb. You can take Ali, please. Maybe we should. No, Ali, we can't take her. <laughs> Deb, I'm sorry. We can't take her. I am begging you. I'm begging Deb, you. Deb, for Christ's sake, get out, out of the way. Ali, we can't take. No, Babe, I'm sorry. John, Sorry, Cammy. No. <laughs> no. But, John, we, we gotta go back. Ali, we can't take her. But why? What? Well, so we take her to the airbase and then leave her standing there alone when they turn her away. <laughs> he's gonna call. He's gonna call. He's gonna call. It's gonna be fine. It's very good. That's definitely one that I would recommend. Yeah. I thought you were going to mention another film there, though. Go on. What one should I have mentioned? (laughs) The one that jumped out immediately to me for how it made me feel. And you were talking about what emotions these movies are trying to make us feel. This one made me feel scared. And I was surprised by that, that not more of the disaster movies are scary. Because they should be. But it, it's the Norwegian film, The Wave. Ah, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I watched that in the last week as well. And I was quite surprised by, it came out in 2015. Very surprising little film that I never heard of before. It's set in the fjords in Norway. It's about a geologist and his family. And again, as happens with all of these films, the family unit is sort of the linchpin to us having empathy for the characters. Mm -hmm. This geologist, he's got a teenage son. He's got a, a young daughter, about eight or nine years old and a wife. And he is starting to pick up on signs that the mountain is shifting. And if there is any sort of breakage from the the mountain, it will cause a 200 meter high wave. And that's exactly what happens. Hello? Marga? Papa, what's going on? It was genuinely tense and scary. And the scene that I loved from it Mm -hmm. was when the disaster actually occurred and the alarm goes off and they realise because of drills and because of the historical record of of fjords in Norway, how long it's going to take. And they've got 10 minutes. based on real life. This is is stuff that's happened. I know in America it's definitely happened in Norway as well. So it's real life horrific thing that can happen. Yeah. And they realise they have 10 minutes for everyone to evacuate the town 
That's at the bottom of the fjord. Now we have 10 minutes. We must find guests. Come on, I'll take the top one. For the Vibeke, see if you can find the bursch. Come And it's really tense and exciting. Yeah. And I love the moment when they're trying to escape from the wave. He's in the car with his He's daughter. He's in the car with his daughter. He realizes they're out of time, so they say, we have to run. This is the thing. They always split up the families. They split up all the characters, so they're all in different scenarios. So somebody's in this location, somebody's in that location, and then you get the diversity of set yeah. pieces. So he's on the mountain with his daughter, and there's a traffic jam, and the wave is coming, and his wife is in a hotel. Their son is in the hotel as well with them. How the son gets left behind is, is he's looks for, he's looking for a place to to skate his skateboard and he goes into the basement and he's just has headphones on and he's skating around the There's basement. a moment in that right where I thought, oh, he's just hooked up with the girl. Receptionist. Yeah. She gives him the eyes as yeah. he's passing her in the hallway. And then later on when the, the wife is calling, she's the main concierge at the hotel. She's calling for her assistant. And the assistant comes running back and she's buttoning up her shirt. Oh yeah. And I thought, I thought, ooh, you Dirty devil. They've basically hooked up. And that's where he is. He's hiding out from his mommy because he's probably putting his jocks back on. But no, he's down in the basement yeah. playing on a skateboard. But it's so exciting yeah. and tense. And they did a sequel to it. Yeah, not The Wave 2, but it was called The Quake. It's not as good as The Wave, but it's got great special effects again. The same family get caught up in another natural disaster. That's the only bit that immediately kind of makes me titter a small bit. Yeah, a second natural disaster happens in Norway. Of course, it affects everybody. It affects the entire city. But we're focused on them and the family has fractured after that they're not together the the husband and wife have sort of parted ways because she's obviously traumatised from her experiences and he is a bit lost and it doesn't go well for them what the There was a brief moment when I was looking at my research that I thought, hang on a second, is Norway having a kind of disaster movie moment? Because there was the wave, the quake, and then there was another one called the tunnel. These have all come out in the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I highly recommend the wave as well. Very tense. It doesn't have the same number of set pieces like it might have only like 
two major set pieces or three major set pieces where the Hollywood ones have like about five or six. But still, it's well worth it. It is gripping. And uh, yeah, I recommend it as well. And it, it's interesting in, in that it does have a sequel and you don't get many sequels or any of these big disaster movie event films other than beyond the Poseidon Adventure, which is the sequel to the Poseidon Adventure where Michael Caine turns up with Sally Field <laughs> as a, a pirate to basically plunder the ship. And you think, am I supposed to care about these people? At midnight on New Year's Eve, the SS Poseidon, caught in a violent Mediterranean storm, is struck by a 90-foot tidal wave and capsized. On the morning of the following day, a salvage crew and a special rescue squad board the doomed ship. The fire must have been started by the last explosion. More could come any time. I'm telling you, it's a floating time bomb. They discover that she holds three secrets. A billion-dollar treasure, a deadly cargo of plutonium, and 11 trapped survivors. That porthole's going to go at any moment. Got to find another way out of here. I watched it. I watched it. Oh lordy, it happens literally. Did you love it? I loved it so much, Kevin. It was. It was. That one was. How much of the film did you watch? I watched uh, over half, and then I skipped to the final few scenes just to see how it all ended up. <laughs> and Telly Savavas, who loves your baby, is in there as well. Telly Savavas. What What was wrong and very flawed about Beyond the Poseidon Adventure is the motivation. Instead of characters getting caught up in an in a disaster. This was characters going to a disaster for their own greed and nefarious reasons. Well, well, go on. That leads me into asking you, what do you think of Twister? Twister, wow. Because Twister is about storm chasers. There is a mystery. Elusive. Unpredictable. Violent. It terrifies most scientists. But for a new breed, the challenge is saving lives. The research is deadly. The laboratory is nature itself. And potentially uh, could be a storm that has a wind in excess. doesn't have a disaster happening to people but them pursuing disaster in order to plant their Dorothy trackers to sort of yeah their motivation is one of uh, one to try and benefit humanity you know their motivation to do that is understandable because there's a kind of like the more we can study these twisters the more we can actually help people versus the Poseidon adventure of let's go down into this burning depths of the ship which you know was established in the first film is going to go down in a couple of minutes it's unique in that it's a sequel. Very so unique. I thought that was interesting. Because even the airport movies are tangentially connected in that uh, George Kennedy shows up in all of them, but he seems to change jobs each time he comes back. <laughs> I love it. He's a janitor in one. He's <laughs> flying is. a Concorde in the fourth one. It's is like, hang on a second, you were fucking an air traffic controller and an engineer before oh. that. I just can't take this anymore. Jack of all trades. <laughs> so I identified three big eras for the disaster movies. You've right. got the 70s era, which is the Towering Inferno and uh, Poseidon Adventure and sort of the era where these films were getting Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. Then you had the 90s resurgence that sort of came back thanks to Independence Day, Twister and Deep, Deep Impact. Impact and Armageddon, the Volcano and Dante's Special Peak. effects. Yeah, special effects laden films. 
Then you had the third era, which is like the direct-to-video TV movie sort of Sharknado era, where right. it's just garbage. Other than the rock films, but th- those are the three big sort of peaks, I think, for disaster genre. For the 90s era, I think they became popular in the 90s again because of the dawn of digital effects, because digital effects allowed filmmakers to do so much more. And as a result, it was like, oh, wow, we could show asteroids hitting the earth. And so, wow, we can actually show tornadoes in a way that had never been seen before. So there was a sense of excitement and scale of going to the cinema to see these things. That was a part of the appeal. Did you go to the cinema to see them? Yes, I saw all of these things in the cinema. Absolutely. And I enjoyed them. Yeah, I saw Twister in the cinema. I saw Deep Impact, Armageddon. The only one I saw in the cinema was Independence Day, and that was spectacular. Oh, yeah. And this is key. I don't think it's a disaster movie, though, even though it has all the elements. It's an alien invasion movie. Yes. If there's an extra thing that you need to establish in order for the disaster to happen, and it's something science fiction-y or supernatural that isn't grounded in real science, then I don't consider it to be a disaster movie. So Jurassic Park doesn't count. That is one big pile of shit. But Jaws 1 and 2 probably kind of would, because a shark is a natural thing. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. But you went to the cinema to see them all. I went to the cinema to see them all. And you want to know the one that had the biggest effect on me and one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in the cinema. It was Titanic. Seeing her coming out of the darkness still gets me every time. It was the largest moving object ever constructed by the hand of man. A vision of glory, a symbol of pride, a ship of dreams. But behind the voyage, everyone knows. Beyond the legend everyone shares, awaits a story yet to discover. One of the highest grossing films of all time is a disaster movie. And let me tell you this, Kevin, that experience of watching Titanic opening night, a big, huge screen, absolutely packed, was one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had. Did you cry? Did you cry at the oh, end? I cr- Leo did Drake? I cry oh. at the end? I cried at the beginning. I cried at the be- middle. I cried. Anyway, I just cried all over myself. Do you know I refused to see that film because the song was just everywhere and it couldn't escape it? 
I think it was in the cinema for about eight months. Yes. And I never went <laughs> once. There was no way I was putting myself through a film where that song came up. Hold on. So I want to I wanna paint a picture for you, right? And the picture is the sense of watching it on a huge screen really had a huge impact on me and the audience. You, I, can feel, I can feel right now the tingles I felt watching the scale of, of that ship. You're reminding me of when um, in Borat, when they had the naked wrestling and just seeing the scale of the scrotum on screen and the reaction of the audience and the tingles that were running through. Of- what my point, Kevin, is that <laughs> the reason these films are successful in, in, and should be seen on the big screen is because of that scope and that scale. And I think that's an element that's important for disaster movies. Well, I didn't see any of them this week on the big screen, so I'm Maybe sorry. that's why you didn't enjoy them. If you'd watched Airport on the big screen, maybe you'd had a much better experience. Ladies and gentlemen, the pilot has just informed me that we are headed for some severe turbulence. Okay. So just stay seated with your belts buckled because he said this is going to be terrible. I do think there's something to that because this genre is inherently cinematic, like yeah. Coronation Street and Emmerdale and, and EastEnders will attempt it every so often where a bus will tip over and it's a big fucking event and it's a disaster. Yeah. But yeah, these films, they need that scope. Yeah. And oh yeah, to finish that point about Titanic, when I saw that film on a normal television, completely lost its magic. Like immediately, I just went... Hmm, something's off about this film. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. I honestly feel that if you didn't see it in the cinema, you're not going to get the same impact. And now it just doesn't, it doesn't, this magic isn't there on the small screen. Personally, that's my opinion. Yeah. So there was a big name that was involved in the 1970s as well. George Kennedy. <laughs> George Kennedy. Honestly, <laughs> horror films have scream queens. George Kennedy's the disaster master. <laughs> well, if I'm going out, I'm going out happy. He's in about six or seven of them. Yeah. Well, Irwin Allen, like, you know, the producer, director extraordinaire. Mr. Allen, how could you get such a prestigious cast together? I'll tell you exactly. I'll let you in on a secret. You know, making motion pictures is like being, in a strange way, in almost any other business. People work for a fixed salary. If they know they can get their salary, if they know they're going to enjoy being in that picture, if they know that the role that they're going to do is large and exciting... And if they know that the chances of being in a big, successful movie are pretty good, this is how you get big casts. They were all paid then the same salary? No, no, no. not the same to each other. Their own regular, ongoing salary. And no one has a piece of the picture? I didn't say that, and that's very private and very personal. And I'm not going to tell you. The man who turned down James Bond to adapt it for a TV show. Did he? Yeah. You said that last no. week and you, you never mentioned it on mic. Oh, shoot. I never mentioned it on mic. Yeah. Me, a fact I gave you last week. Orwin Allen, yes, turned down the James Bond franchise because he went, it's a piece of crap. And uh, Cubby Broccoli uh, went off and did a deal with Harry Saltzman instead. So yeah, he had a chance to be, instead of a disaster movie maestro, he could have been one of the, the broccolis. Okay. I just want to ask one more thing. Right. Are you a Deep Impact or Armageddon guy? I'm a fucking Deep Impact guy, baby. What about yourself? I'm a f- Deep Impact guy as well. Why are you a Deep Impact guy? Because Armageddon's bollocks. <laughs> I asked Michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers. And he told me to shut the fuck up. So that, that was the end of that talk. He was like, you know, Ben, just shut up, okay? You know, this is a real plan, all right? I was like, you mean it's a real plan at NASA to train oil drillers? He was like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> See, here's where we demonstrate that, because Bruce is going to tell the guys that they did a bad job of 
building the drill tank. He did a piss. See, he's a salt of the earth guy, and the NASA nerdonauts don't uh, don't understand uh, his salt of the earth ways, his rough and tumble ways. Well, that's because your cans are all like somehow they can build rocket ships, but they don't understand like what makes a good tranny. <laughs> well, pretty much, yeah. Like eight whole months, as if that's not enough time to learn how to drill a hole. But in a week, we're gonna learn how to be astronauts. Oh, one whole week? Now you know how to fly into space? I need my guys. Why do you need them? They're the best. Everyone's the best. Why are they the best? I don't know. They just are. I'm only the best because I work with the best. If you don't trust the men you're working with, you're as good as dead. You want to send these boys into space? Fine. I'm sure they'll make good astronauts. But they don't know jack about drilling. I mean, this is a little bit of a logic stretch, let's face it. They don't know jack about drilling. How hard can it be? Aim the drill at the ground and turn it on. You think it's just drilling a hole? There's a lot you gotta know about. And when you're gonna break, snap off an edge in a tranny on a corner of a hot pipe, and you're gonna get a gas pocket. Like, yeah, well, what about when the booster rockets don't fire and your EVA suit and your zero gravity, you know? Didn't you see? A, didn't you see Apollo thirteen, boy? <laughs> yeah. I'm totally with Ben Affleck. It's so incredible. He's dead right. He's, it's in such an incredible right. Deep Impact is not without its flaws, right? Deep Impact is not a perfect film, but Deep Impact has a sense, has a beautiful sense of scale, and it's got Robert Duvall reading Moby Dick, which I absolutely love. It's got that ensemble element, the ensemble is kind of like point, multiple point of views of this event going on. And it has a sense of realism, even though I know it's scientifically not real at all. But it kind of treats the subject with melodrama and uh, and a weight that Armageddon certainly does not. Yeah, when Tia Leone says to her to her dad, they're on the beach, <laughs> they're, they're going to die. I know, this, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> she said, <laughs> Go on. Papa? No, she says, Daddy. And he hugs her. There's a moment. <laughs> is, there, is there not a moment in this where he, where he says to her, I dropped you on your head as a baby. <laughs> this is before. Oh. Yeah, he does say <laughs> he that. He does say that. He says that just before they're about to die from the time <laughs> away. He tells her, I dropped you on your head as a baby. When you were a baby, I once dropped you on your head. <laughs> That's like a line that Gloria Swanson would say in fucking airport. In 1957, I dropped my children on their head. They turned out fine. Armageddon's not without a spectacle and wonderful special effects, but it glorifies... That also had a horrible bloody song. Oh, yeah, that's worse. That one was worse. And I remember being in the cinema seeing that one, and I saw people around me crying their eyes off as if it was Titanic. And I was literally laughing. What county did you see this in? I saw it in Cork. I saw it in Balancholic. Oh my God, I'm cutting this out. Saw it in Balancholic. There we go. I saw it in Dublin. I saw it in Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to say there that. We go. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I'm going to have to mention some other ones that I saw. Mm-hmm. Sinkhole was kind of fun. Okay. That's the one where the disaster is a sinkhole. Ah. And it's a Korean film. A building falls into a sinkhole and they have to escape out right. of the sinking building. That was wacky. But the one that I saw that was quite fun was Skyfire. That was directed by Simon West. Oh, and that one came uh, out last year. 2019. Oh, two years ago. Okay. Well, three it, years it, ago. Pandemic, well. Kevin. Pandemic in my Three life. years Just, ago. Yeah, anyway, pand- pre-pandemic. Right, go on. Tell me about The this. boring disaster. Skyfire, directed by Simon West, is basically Jurassic Park, 
but a volcano instead of dinosaurs. Welcome to the most extraordinary and unforgettable experience available on this planet. Tens of thousands of visitors a month. We've only just begun. <laughs> Nature's spectacle presented as entertainment. I mean, only a lunatic would build a world-class resort on a ticking time bomb of molten Earth, right? The mountain's waking up. I need time to study it. We're all going to be fine. They build a hotel under a volcano or something. Is that it? Yeah, a sort of a, an attraction. Right. They've got monorails and stuff. There's an incredible scene in it with a, two dual monorails side by side that sort of go around the island. And when the volcano has erupted, it sent you know rocks and, and lava shooting it into the air, and it severed one of the cable lines. And the people are trying to escape the island, and there are. <laughs> They're having to jump from one of the doomed cable cars onto the other one. But there are guide posts that are holding up the monorails <laughs> oh, in God. between. So they have to time their jumps. And I won't ruin it for you, but I got a big belly laugh out of what happens. One of them has got these legs spread. Like he's got one leg in one <laughs> carriage and the other leg in the other carriage. It's just so <laughs> earnest. And it just made me think I'd love more fun disaster movies. Like Armageddon. <laughs> that was a great one. But the other one I wanted to mention before I get into my pick is one that you recommended to me. Yeah. And it's The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Yes. In 1961. The time is now 10.51. Nine minutes before countdown. Nine minutes. Nine minutes before countdown. Nine minutes while the world waits and wonders. Share, if you dare, the unbearable suspense of men and women who have never in their lives faced greater peril. The day the earth caught fire will burn itself into your memory. Is it fiction or is it fact? What's the mutation of the earth? Mutation? Well, it's a slight oscillation on the earth's axis caused by the pull of the sun and the moon. It's on changed. The equation. You see, there's a slight bulge on the... There's also an item here about axis rotation. There's been 11 degree variation, whatever that may mean. They've shifted the tilt of the earth. The stupid, crazy, irresponsible bunglers. They've finally done it. The countdown must have started by now. Drink up then. 22, 21. To the luck of the human race. The day the earth caught fire fearlessly tackles a ferocious subject. It will seize your imagination, stretch your nerves with suspense more compelling than any you have known in a cinema before. Three, two, one. And it's a British film. The Russians and the Americans have set off nuclear bombs doing a test and it has thrown off the polarity of the planet. And you're following a reporter that works for the Express in London and the weather is starting to act up and they're getting misinformation from the government and he's investigating what's going on. And meanwhile, the, the planet is basically doomed. It's got great dialogue. It's beautiful to behold. It reminds me that the British film industry used to be thriving yeah. until Thatcher came in and sort of deregulated everything and destroyed it. But it's, it's a cracking disaster movie that feels like the pandemic in a lot of ways. Absolutely. In that it's very mundane. There's a lot of misinformation. You're trying to parse out what's real, what's not. Meanwhile, everything is going wrong around you and you can feel the doom creeping in. And it's it's a really great, great film. And it's one that I have to recommend you guys check out the day the earth caught fire. Hey, Kevin. 
Can I give you my best pick? My best scene pick? Yes. Is it Sharknado? It's Sharknado. Hi, Dad. How did you survive the explosion in Tokyo? Well, it sent me back in time. Then it took years. Then I figured out a way to harness a vortex to bring me back to you, Dad. So you turned a Sharknado into a time machine. Yep. That's my boy. That's my man. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Need a license to drive this thing? Where we're going... You don't need a license. It's actually from the day the Earth caught fire. Co-written and directed by Val Guest, who he co-wrote with Wolf Mankiewicz. Val Guest did a lot of Hammer movies. But as Kevin said, I love the verisimilitude of this film. Yeah. They shot this in the Express offices, the actual Express news offices. And I think even the editor of the Express plays the editor in this film. Ron Paul of the Baileys in there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I love the I, I love newsroom movies anyway, about like figuring out the story and chasing the story and all that sort of stuff and doing kind of dodgy deeds to get any bit of any bit of information. And there's a scene in this it has a bookend element where it starts three months after the bombs go off and everything is sepia. Yeah, you're in London and he's pouring with sweat. Yeah. And the streets are deserted. And you're wondering, how did he end up in this scenario? And it looks like a post-apocalypse. You're like, what has happened? And you just, the story starts just, you know, three months before that and everything's normal. And as the film goes along, you can just see everyone sweating more. You can feel the sweat in the film. Yeah. And then slowly, like, government restrictions come in about water usage. and They're cutting off the water and people are going to have to publicly bathe. Yeah, man. Because isn't it that, how do they put it? They write the headline that says, the earth has fallen over. To the luck of the human race. And basically it means that the equator has shifted. So it's higher yeah. on the globe than it used to be. So they're having famines and heat waves and all the weather patterns are thrown off. And also they're moving closer to the sun. Yeah. They're actually actually spiraling closer to the sun. My favorite scene from this is the final scene. I'm not going to spoil exactly what it is. It is that scene of him. Mustn't lose count. Must be about nine. In those deserters, uh, express offices. It's always later than you think. With the heat and the sepia. Giving his final report. May. I'm here. On the end of humanity. Yes. Did you mean all that before? Three. Of course I didn't, you silly old bird. Two. And that's how the film starts and ends. One. They'll let me. Zero. All right, go on, you bloody idiot. So man has sown the wind and reaped the whirlwind. Perhaps in the next few hours there will be no remembrance of the past and no hope for the future that might have been. All the works of man will be consumed in the great fire out of which he was created. But perhaps at the heart of the burning light into which he has thrust his world, there is a heart that cares more for him than he has ever cared for himself. And if there is a future for man, insensitive as he is, proud and defiant in his pursuit of power, let him resolve to live it lovingly, for he knows well how to do so. 
Then he may say once more, truly the light is sweet, and what a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to see the sun. And I have to say, it was gripping. It was so grounded and real and actually quite prescient because, holy shit, the stuff that's going on in that film is climate change. And uh, it kind of gave me the scares. And for a film that was made on a low budget, they really captured. It looks great. It looks great. doesn't look like a low budget film. That was the thing that jumped out at me with the Russian film and this was that they really knew how to shoot movies back then. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, after my research on this topic, we always have one golden gem but find. And for me, the golden gem was The Day the Earth Caught Fire from 1961. Go watch it. It's amazing. Absolutely. There's a great line in it as well, where the editor says, people don't care about the news until it becomes personal. That is so true. That is so, so true. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone's living their normal lives in it. And you just see even the little pub he goes to to get his meal, how they just, you know, they're just still talking about mundane stuff. (laughs) They're still trying to be mundane, but, you know, just it's getting, it's getting hotter. It's like the planet is going to shit and you've got people just like in their rooms, like making podcasts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But he's paying any attention. <laughs> so I should tell you my pick then. Great. What is it? Okay. I'll tell you a legitimately great scene from a disaster movie that I loved and we didn't mention it. And it is Robert Vaughn's death in the towering inferno. Right. When he is trying to make an escape. And he's leaving behind his girlfriend who's in her knickers. Oh, yeah. And he says, it's going to be fine, baby. I'm, I'm going to make it through. And he puts a wet tea towel over himself and he runs through and he doesn't get more than three feet. Don't go. I'll be back with the whole fire department. shoot it side on and you basically see quite an apocalyptic scene of him trying to make it through the fire in slow motion and just being engulfed in flames and I thought that was the most affecting death in that movie it was really tragic and then her stuck in the penthouse room unable to to escape knowing that she's next And you want to know something that was really effective because it set a precedent for the rest of the film. The horror, the slow horror of that really set the tone of like, oh, you you could, people are going to die horrifically in this. And um, yeah, they spent the money there and it really works for the rest of the movie. So yeah, good pick. That's not my pick. Oh, go on. <laughs> I always do this with you. I tell you what my, what my legitimate pick is and then I tell you what my bullshit pick is. But I said that disaster movies are like proto slasher films. Oh, you're not going to pick Halloween. No, I'm not going to pick Halloween. I'm going to pick Final Destination 2. Oh! The opening to Final Destination 2, which takes place on a freeway, and it sets up the rest of the movie, and all of the Final Destination movies begin with a disaster. Excellent. And the movie then walks it back, and it's about the whole thing of death's grand design. And if you cheat death, or you escape death, death will come back and, and claim your soul that should have been lost on a specific day and you know there's deja vu elements play into it but the second film begins with a group of friends who are going on a road trip and they're 
you're heading down the, the freeway and you're getting to see all the different characters, the ensemble, mm. and it, it gets straight to the point, not like the other disaster movies where they spend an hour setting up the characters. You get to meet all the characters in their cars, navigating whether they're going to work or whether they're riding a motorcycle or whether they're smoking a joint or they're a police officer. And then a disaster occurs where a log comes free from a truck that's leading the, this convoy, causes a ricochet effect that kills all these people in a pileup and it is thrilling and gripping and it's the best sequence in all of the final destination movies my pick you cheeky cheeky monkey it's a disaster movie but well fair enough fair enough crossing over with a slasher movie yeah okay okay listen hey it's your podcast you you swing at whatever but i like uh i like your your i like your guile kevin i like it thanks well yeah very good <laughs> can i say something there quickly kevin yeah you want to know something well the day after tomorrow might be a piece of shit but it's so much better than a lot of those films that came out in the 70s so much better. Roland Emmerich has a total hard on for Irwin Allen. I think that he th- he thinks of himself as the new Irwin Allen. Yeah. I even watched some of Pompeii. I was like going, well, Pomp- I've been to Pompeii. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch Pompeii. And the Pompeii only is the last 45 Wait, minutes of the film. Wait, you've been to Pompeii? Yeah, I've been to Pompeii in real life. Yeah, it was. Oh it wasn't at all hot, or, or, or <laughs> there were no. There, it was surprisingly clear skies. There's no like fire raining down from us, raining down. So, are us, there no. people like actually turned to ash, or or basically whatever they are in carbonite there? Yeah, yeah, there are. Yeah, it's amazing. There's kids. There's dogs. You know, when you see a dog curled up and uh, like asleep, there's dogs like or even my dogs see- curled up asleep right beside me well, here. There you go. The w- that position they're in. It's really unnerving when you actually see these people who are frozen. There's one guy apparently wanking. <laughs> well, you wouldn't you? <laughs> I didn't notice him. But it's an amazing, an amazing place. It's like, Jesus, for it to be completely vanished for 2,000 years almost. And it is massive. It's not a small place. It's absolutely gigantic. And it's uh, an incredible, I would highly recommend this if anyone is ever looking to go back in time to Roman days, go to Pompeii or Herculaneum. I'd, I'd recommend the Titanic Museum in Belfast. Well, that's great too. Yeah, that's really good. There you go. I love a good disaster scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you know what? You're reminding me that when I was in Australia, there had been a recent forest fire that had decimated a part of Southern Australia and it had basically wiped out all of the vegetation and it was apocalyptic and it was deeply, deeply sad to see just black ash as far as the eye could see just this black moon-like surface nature is scary we shouldn't be yep. fucking with it you should not be fucking with it that's why it makes for good disaster movies it does um will that do <laughs> that's grand <laughs> be grand to fucking fuck on our race. I, w- I want I want to highlight 
Kevin actually did watch a shit ton of films this last week to try and cover this topic. Also, how much did I complain to you about the films? Oh, usually. Oh my god. I want. I was out. so annoyed. I was getting really irritated by the movies. I thought I fucked this. I want to highlight I this how much be- I had to put up with this last week. We kept on watching disaster movies. <laughs> But I watched a lot as well. And I have to say, it's a topic and genre and subgenre that is uh, has a very poor average rating, I would say. Yes, absolutely. But there's some gems in there. I said that we would recommend them. So let's give people our top five. You only need to see Disaster five. Movies. Okay, yeah. good. Because there's only about five I really, really like. Go for it. Tell me. I'm Well, obviously, The Day the Earth Caught Fire. That's one. That's um, one for me. I'm going to say The Towering Inferno. That's a cracker. That's, that's definitely one for me. Yeah. I'm going to say I like Deep Impact. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. That's yeah. a good one. I didn't watch it for this because I had such a strong memory of it. So I, yes. Yeah, I'm going to say okay. I'm also going to say Greenland because that was a surprise. Yes. and That was a big surprise for me because I expected it to be a bag of butler, but it was actually good. And my final pick is if you have access to a time machine, go back to 1997, about September, October, and go and find a packed house screening of Titanic because that's great on the big screen. If you don't and can't, well, you know, don't bother. What about you, Kevin? What about your top five? I'm going to swap out Titanic for the wave. Oh, yeah, that's good. Mm, Yeah, no, I'll leave in Titanic. So, Will, that'll do for this episode. And next week, we'll have another disaster because... Why? Oh, God, we're doing a live show. Yes, we're doing a live show. Did you notice the the mood change? (laughs) We're not spinning the wheel because next week we are doing a live episode as part of Dublin International Film Festival. And the topic for the episode is best scene set in a cinema. Great. So you've got moments like when the gremlins are singing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs High Ho. When Taxi Driver takes his passenger in to see a porno movie on a date. Yes, in Inglorious Bastards, mm. when Hitler is burned alive. When Margot Robbie goes in to see her own film in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and we see her dirty feet open the seat in front of her. <laughs> take him down. There you take go. Take him down, Margot Robbie. We've already done the episode. We don't actually have to do it next week. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have guests as well. We're going to have Connor McMahon, who is a great guy, a friend of ours. You're going to love him. And Kate Dolan's coming back. Oh, so yeah. that's next week best scene set in a cinema huzzah I'm looking forward to it it'll be a disaster hopefully not see ya the best bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin all audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended if you enjoyed this episode please like share subscribe rate review all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. Did you know that my first trip to California took five days? Get a hug, yourself. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Mini bits. Another new episode.
Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corns sorted out. I went to the Chiroptus the other day and uh, she Your said... corn? Uh, my corns. Did you, you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that. Do you, um, do you not wear any shoes like around the house? You walk no, I, I, I wear... No, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women. Oh. Who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a mini bits episode where we get people disgusted. Squally, it's episode 73 of the mini bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode and then every so often it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode and yeah. I'm like what did we how did we say it what did we say on that episode it's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes maybe it didn't sound as desperate maybe we said don't join maybe reverse psychology that's how we should do it reverse psychology don't join up to our patron don't it's, <laughs> cancel. You don't des- everybody cancel you, you don't deserve to be in this group we don't want you we don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We don't. We don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people we we did? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I? How do you think I did? I I I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once, so I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across. But you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure they're they were profiled in the Gar- Guardian as well. Yeah, but we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're, 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 you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG <laughs> listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those are my Prince Albert. <laughs> Your hat? Yeah. I want Speaking one of, of the, which. I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glints. Yeah. Like a starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of? Which? Start the time. Oh. I forgot. You may as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after Yeah, we, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. Okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And I'm... Right. Um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. You it doesn't did. really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So um, I'm Well, the Joker your... 2 trailer came out today. I saw it. 
Yes, I watched that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, look, hey, listen. Uh, I, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show. The Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be just to fill me in, like on the lore, get up to speed, get you right up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be there going, where, where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Where, where are they going to show up? And like, you know, a weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which isn't. Its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like, it's this, just everywhere. What, well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world, has very much entered the, the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors. And there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh this is insane. the thing. Kevin, so I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast. What was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, you, you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. And have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to rise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people on Discord are trying to every, rise you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting though, like, um, tweets, comments, TikToks. Uh, articles, anything insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. I was okay. like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay, <laughs> it's just it's it's everywhere. And the other, th- do you know, the other thing that's also bothering me lately. Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly whatever. They would just they were morons. But no. <laughs> I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word, A-L-O-T, a lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, (laughs) but I can't get it right. It's like the you I. can, because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I would found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. (laughs) Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? 
Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. Do you know what I have to put in the sound effect? I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I have the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? <laughs> here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right. 